welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of energy. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm here at the Canon with Michael Hale, VP of Exploration at Novo Oil and Gas. Firstly, I want to give a big shout out. We were talking about Becky right before mm-hmm. this. Becky Long over at Evolve. She connected us. And so it's, you know, and we were saying this, she's such a selfless person who's always looking to just help others. And so I love that about her. But how do you know Becky, Michael? So Becky and I, our relationship goes back a couple of years because she worked with Biota, which is a company that does DNA diagnostics. And we had used them and she kind of became the, trying to think of it. You could almost, it's funny you mentioned it, the whole thing about her, you know, being selfless and like helping others. That's sort of what her job was for Biota was to kind of like reach out to the clients and just make sure that they were happy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So like customer relations and, and she's great at that. Yeah. So I actually interviewed Cooper, I forget his last name, Hill perhaps. Gil. Gil. That's right. And yeah, they have some fascinating technology. I haven't really kept up to date with what they're doing Mm -hmm. and how they're doing, but yeah, I was kind of mind struck, you know, talking to him. And this was probably about a year and a half ago. And I think Becky was there at the time, but again, it was fascinating. And so, yeah. So then obviously you guys sort of remain friends and yeah, Yeah, it sounded like you had some, some dinner with her and everything. Yeah. Just continuing to build relationships and network is great. So I have to say, so, you know, again, when I do these, I always look at people's background to get an idea of who they are, Mm -hmm. their experience, and you have a pretty solid and extensive geology background which is interesting because most geologists that I know, and I went to school with geologists, I did, you know, petroleum engineering and, you know, been in the upstream oil and gas space for a long time. Most geologists, I would say, are not eager to participate in things like podcasting. So you must be a positive outlier. Do you ever find that? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm trying to say this without being uh, <laughs> too harsh on my colleagues, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are definitely two different types of geologists. I think there are ones that are kind of more outgoing and that they are incredibly rare. Yeah. And then a lot of geologists, I think, tend to be kind of more hermits yeah. and sort of just want to be left alone. Sure. And it probably yeah. goes with anybody because that's whether it's engineers, you know, most salespeople are out there and anytime they get a chance to talk and, you know, do stuff like this or into it. But geology is interesting. And I remember in grad school, it's either you have it or you don't. For me, it was not one of those disciplines that because almost like the more natural artistic type folks that I went to school with did extremely well that, you know, they could look at isopack maps and things would come together. And I'm more engineering where it's yeah. more binary. Uh, no, and, absolutely. And, and, and so it was interesting. And so I'm curious, were you always interested in geology or, I mean, how did that evolve sure. into where you're at? Well, when I was younger, I grew up in Binghamton, New York. Binghamton is kind of Right on the flanks of the Susquehanna River. Susquehanna River is the single largest watershed for the Chesapeake Bay. So ah, okay. where I grew up, we were on the floodplain and my dad was a really handy guy and he used to do a ton of work in our backyard, like digging up things, you know, putting in various like tiers of decks and things. And as a kid, I used to always help him. And I remember every time we would like dig up stuff in the backyard, you'd always find shells and things. And I became really, really fascinated with fossils. Ah. And so when I went to school you know, paleontology is one aspect of geology. And so I became really kind of enamored with that. Interesting. And and I think also just growing up in the household that I did, my father's very much, he is a science minded guy and he always was really passionate about science. Like I grew up watching Cosmos with Carl Sagan. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. So anything about science really jumps out to me. And I remember taking an introductory to geology course and we were learning about planetary geology about, you know, all the different planets and celestial bodies in our solar system and about like the unique features of each one and how they relate to geology. And I remember just thinking, whoa, this is cool. This is for me. So originally it started out as I'll take this course as one of many that I have to take, right? Like a choice amongst like prerequisites that I need to take for things. 
And then it became, I'm just going to keep taking these because I enjoy them. And then it was, you know what, I'm going to switch my major to this. So Okay, interesting. Yeah. So I want to back up a little bit. You mentioned your, your father was a big into science. What did he do? My father's actually, he was an accountant for IBM. Like his, oh, wow. He was so far removed from science in his day-to-day life, but it was always a passion of his. So, Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, so kind of a vacation. And you know, it sounds like it kind of is in the DNA because you obviously took a liking to it. And yeah. science was the direction you took. Before we keep going, I do need to highlight a cool rollout provided by our sponsor, who is Technip FMC. Technip FMC has recently deployed an app designed for their onshore customers. This app can be used on all mobile devices and is designed to quickly and easily find product documentation and support resources, download the latest operation and maintenance manuals, easily access warning and safety instructions through the app. And if you're not sure exactly which product to use for which application, or you just need to figure out who to contact, the app's catalog, location, and contact us sections can help you find that information. Download their Surface app today by scanning the QR code in their video or by visiting the link in the show notes. Also, we're doing our monthly happy hours here in Houston, and we're going to be doing them at the Canon continuously. Check out OGGN for more details on all our events. And again, we have several podcasts coming out, so please check out OGGN for more of the podcast. We have everything from ESG, leadership, Road to the C-Suite, just about anything you can think of related to energy, we have a podcast on it. So a big shout out to the OGGN team for continuing to push the limits in the podcast space. So Michael, I want to start off again by asking, it's kind of an off the wall question, but it'll make you think a little bit. What core belief have you changed your mind on over the last few years? And it could be personal, business, or really anything that comes to mind. Well... I would say that, I mean, I don't want to go down like anything, this like political rabbit hole, because I feel That's like okay. it could be. <laughs> I think you're a respectful gentleman. You're not going to go too sideways with no, us. No, no, sure. Go. Of course. Yeah. But I'd never want to. You know, Understand. Yeah. yeah Anger a potential so. listener. But no, no. I think in the last few years, one of the biggest things, and this is probably a byproduct of having kids. You know, I have. Touche. Yeah. I have four-year-old <laughs> twins. And I think once you have kids, wow. you really start to look at the world differently. And you definitely want to make sure that you are leaving something better for them. Right. And the thing that I have really started to kind of focus in on, I think, is personal accountability and personal responsibility. Wow. I think for a long time, it was something that I think we all want to feel like, hey, you know, I'm in charge of my destiny. And of course, I have responsibility and I have accountability. But the truth is, is the evidence I see in the world is that people just don't. You know, a lot of people really want to blame everyone else for their misfortunes, when in reality, you're the architect of your own happiness. You're the architect of your own you know, unhappiness. It's just the way it is. Yes. And of course, we're all dealt, you know, cards. And sometimes those cards set us back, but you can overcome those cards. I mean, unless you're dealt some type of like malady where, okay, I've got six months to live. Okay. Maybe you can't overcome that. Sure. But the reality is, is most things can be overcome, but you have to have the right mindset and you really have to be accountable and you have to be responsible and you have to be willing to work hard for it. So I think that's the thing that really over the past few years, I've really started to focus in on. And I feel like every time I witness, you know, these meltdowns on social media about people getting angry, it's the first thing I think of is like, why don't you worry about your own, you know, clean up your own house, worry (laughs) about yourself. Yeah. And so we could go down so many avenues because I think And I know that that applies to our personal life. That applies to business. Absolutely. That applies just about any relationship. And so it touches to me on a little bit of stoicism and really sort of the mindset for a lot of people who have, it's crazy because it kind of goes back to lotus of control. Most people have an external lotus of control. If anything happens to them, it's because of everybody else. But, and when something happens good, oh, that's because of me. Mm -hmm. And so let's just hypothetically say you were late today. Oh, the traffic was crazy. And you know, that would be an external loss of control situation where because you were late, you then therefore blamed traffic. Whereas someone who has an internal loss of control is like, I'm in control. I should have looked, I should have pre-planned better. So I'm late and I apologize. Traffic was hectic, but I should have taken accountability yeah. to know that traffic was probably going to be hectic. Now there's a car crash in front of you. Kind of hard to take accountability of that because you may have not had anything to do with it, but I like that and where you're coming from. And then in, on top of that, talking business, I always tell the folks that like I try to mentor or coach along or even manage, let's think of it like windows and mirrors. When things are going well, let's look out the window. But when things are going wrong and things are going sideways, whether it's at the rig or whether it's, you know, dealing internally, externally, let's look in the mirror. Let's see how we 
can control the situation. Because a lot of times we don't have control over what happens, but we have control on how we react. And so I love where you went with that. And I'm curious, you mentioned having kids and it sort of changed things. And then you led into talking about that. But before that, would you say you had a different mindset or was it just something that you didn't really consider or think about? I think there's a little bit of both. I mean, I had a different mindset, but I think it was really a byproduct of not really contemplating it very much, you know? Yeah. It's like, sometimes I think we gravitate towards what's easy and, you know, a thought pops in our mind. And this is another, I think, symptom that you sort of see like proliferating, which is we have this thought and we just automatically assume like, oh, my feelings are this way. So it must be correct. But none of us actually really introspectively interrogate that thought. Mm Mm-hmm. And wonder whether or not you're justified in actually feeling the way you feel. And so people get angry and they're like, oh, I'm angry. This is, you know, I'm angry because this happened and this is this person's fault. But a lot of times it's because they completely lack compassion or maybe haven't thought about it from the other person's point of view. Right. Yes. And so you were kind of talking about this lotus of control and you were saying, you know, you know, I was late for this thing and I'm blaming traffic. But at the same time, I think humans also have this really unfortunate tendency to think about other people in a light that's negative when like they're not comparing someone else in the same way that they would think about themselves. Like that person was late, not because of traffic, but because he's irresponsible. Whereas right. if you were late, you would immediately say, oh, traffic was terrible. There was, you know, a backup, Yeah, wow. whatever. And so I just feel like there's a lot of you know, people are very angry. They're not really accountable and they lack compassion for people. And it's, it is a very strange time to be in. Yeah, it is. Right. And there's a lot to be said. And, you know, I was very fortunate to go through grad school and I went and I had a leadership course. And one of the big topics that we learned about was empathy. And I've really taken that and and I've read a lot about it and I've applied it into my work life. And it's really just changed my overall well-being and just how I react and really try to ask questions as to, you know, well, you know, why? And, and even though someone may have done something that was incorrect or something that I felt was, you know, a poor decision, well, why? Maybe they weren't set up to make the right decision. Mm-hmm. How can I help that person? And so I think it's really interesting. And so I'm curious, you either must read or listen to podcasts or, you know, there, I'm sure there's some resource that really helps you kind of or that you go to to help synthesize and come with this. But is there anything that you regularly read or like, where yeah. is this coming from? Because no, I know I, it's not just, I woke up one day. I read all the time. Okay. As a matter of fact, I average about a, a book every eight days. Wow. Nine days. Yeah. And do you read or listen? Well, both. So it's kind of weird because in 2020, I only read physical copies of books. And, yeah. and I always do that Goodreads app and I'm constantly like challenging myself and I want to improve every year. So in 2020, I read 37 books and those were like actually like wow. physical books, like copies of books. In 2021, I switched to trying to do audible and reading. So I'll bring a copy of a book with me wherever I go. And if I'm yeah. sitting in a waiting room or something like that, I read. But if I'm driving to and from work, I'm listening to a book. Yeah. And I've definitely found that, you know, audible is a better way to like mass consume information. But the problem is, is I think you're also you're too easily distracted. And yeah. I found that I probably actually retain less information when I do audible. So my goal for 2022 is I'm trying to make it to 50 books, but I'm going to try and make the vast majority of them actual like physical copies of books. That's amazing. So it's interesting, my wife and I, so at the beginning of each year, you know, either December, beginning of January, we'll write down our yearly goals, we'll write them down, we'll talk about them, we'll try and you know, really define them. We find that helps a lot. And we had a book count and I'm not even going to say what my goal for my book count was because it's dwarfed compared to yours. Mine's 12. I grew yeah, up. If I, you, if you yeah. consume other information, it's the same thing. Yeah. You maybe read a lot or listen to a lot more podcasts than I do. Yeah. So in the, cause I spend a lot of time in the car driving around a lot of windshield time traveling. So podcasting for me is good, but I do travel with a book typically, but that's interesting. And what I've done is, okay, I read this many books, the average pages is this, that means I need to read an average of X pound pages yeah. per day. And that to me systematically helps me get through it. I do the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And so my wife and I were joking cause she bugs me. Because I feel like a lot of times I read like in elementary school, like reading comprehension was always the worst part of my education mm-hmm. growing up. And so I've done a better job doing it. But I think the first book, true book that I actually read front to back was after high school. Like I don't think I read a full book in high school. I was always, Same. I was a hacker, right? I was like, okay, I'll read the little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there. 
maybe go try and find some information that summarizes the book, talk to friends who read the book. But anyway, it's an interesting topic. And, you know, for the folks out there listening, we're not here to talk about books and reading, but I just find it fascinating because I think it tells a lot about the guest. And so I appreciate you sharing that with me. So the last question regarding that, if you could gift one book to somebody, what book would that be? And it doesn't have to be related to anything, but just one that really sticks out to you. So like, you know what? I think people would really value from this particular book. Sure. No, I mean, that's actually a really good question. I think in 2021, I did read more along the subject of, I don't want to say personal betterment. You know, it's like, I don't really subscribe to like self-help books. I feel like people have this idea of like, I know the answer to what makes people, you know, happy and successful. And I'm going to share that with you. It's like, no, you don't. Everybody's different. You know, maybe you have some useful things that you can, you know, pass along, but in reality, anyone can be successful. I think, like I said before, I think it takes personal accountability and personal responsibility and you can pretty much do what you need to do. Right. Yeah. But in 2021, a couple of the books that I read that I felt like had a really profound impact on me, the comfort crisis. Uh, by Michael Easter was really fantastic. Uh, It was about, essentially it's about how the world in which we currently reside is basically not really designed for our brains. Our brains and our bodies evolved in a much harsher environment. And the problem is, is that we're a little too comfortable and it actually is leading to us being less happy, less fulfilled. Ah, Um, Less purpose perhaps. Yeah. I think that's a lot of it is, you know, and this actually couples with that. Another book I read was by Sebastian Junger, and it was called Tribe. And it was really all about how, once again, in the infancy of our species, we lived in small tribes. And remember, we faced hardship at every turn. You know, you are, I mean, think about this. You live in a world where there is no electricity. So you have sunlight during the day, and at night you have pitch black. The only solution to that is to build a fire, right? Yeah. But every time you build a fire, you're also sending up a beacon signal to like every potential predator waiting in the bushes or every rival tribe that could want to attack you. They can see the flame and go, let's go get them. Right. Right. So you evolved in this world that was sort of this constant like fight or flight. I was just going to say, yeah. uh, You're constantly going through that swing in emotions and swing in chemical exchange in your brain. Yeah. And you look at the world we live now and we're really, really comfortable. Like we have nothing is hard, right? We can, if we're cold, we can just go inside and, you know, put on an extra layer and turn (laughs) on the heat, do whatever. Yeah. We don't even rely on our neighbors for help anymore, you know? So we have no sense of tribalism, but I think we still have that innate desire for tribalism. So what do we do? We go on social media and we look for what we need to be angry about. And that's our tribe is this person's angry about the same thing I am. I'm going to scream relentlessly into the void Mm. and, you know, see how it works. Fascinating. So I think Tribe and The Comfort Crisis, I think would be really fantastic books for anyone to read because I do think it kind of sort of, you know, re-centers you in a way and sort yeah. of draws attention to the fact that, hey, rather than being angry all the time, why don't we look for happiness through actual real social um, mm. interaction with people and try to build up our tribes with our neighbors and, you know, help people rather than looking for camaraderie in a place that is only going to be bad, right? Like social media. And then the other thing is just maybe try to live your life a little less comfortably and, and maybe push yourself a little bit more and, and try to do things that are difficult specifically because they're difficult. Yes. And I think one of the greatest quotes ever was John F. Kennedy when he was talking about sending us to the moon. He said, we choose to do it not because it's easy, but because it's hard. And I think we should all live that way. Right. Choose to do things just because they're tough sometimes. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with enjoying your life and being comfortable. Sure. But trust me, I think you'll find more fulfillment if you actually say, you know what? I'm going to go hike a 14,000 foot mountain. Yeah. I'm going to do this because humans are remarkable and we can. Yeah. Right? No, it's, oh, there's so many things I could touch on on that. But the first one would be, I can't help but bring this up. And again, not to get on the political side of it, but more so just from the behavioral and social part of it. So COVID, obviously you know, we were advised to stay at home, be in small groups, not more than so many people. How would you kind of connect with what you're talking about to COVID? And do you think it socially, it has impacted us perhaps for a long term, and especially children, I have a six year old and a three year old. So for me, it was extremely important to find institutions or organizations that still allowed social interaction. Can you speak a little bit on that part of it? So I think COVID is actually a really perfect example of our tendency to 
congregate into tribes, right? <laughs> like you have people that are just completely against vaccinations and they're like, I'm not doing this. And then you have a bunch of people who are like, you are killing people if you don't go and wear a mask in public, right. like outdoors. And you're thinking, wait a minute, the CDC has told us we don't need to wear a mask outdoors. So why are you so angry at people for not doing that? Right. And it's this weird situation. And I'm kind of in the middle where I'm looking at it going like, fine, you know, just have some compassion for your neighbor and do what you need to do. If somebody wants you to wear a mask indoors, just wear a mask. It's not that big a deal. Yes. I'm vaccinated, but I'm also like, I don't make decisions for somebody else. You're in charge of your own destiny. If you want to get vaccinated, do your thing. Yeah. But I am very, very concerned about the long-term ramifications on children. And I think that limiting their social interactions and making them have to constantly spend all their time behind a mask. I just don't know if it is a good thing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong that schools are making them do it or something like that. The intent is is good, however. Right. And I don't even know what the solution is. I really don't. But we have to take into consideration that this is a period in someone's life when they're actually undergrowing the single most amount of growth, right? Yes. And so much of their growth comes from social interaction, learning how to interact with people, learning how to recognize body language, you know, like facial cues, social yeah. cues, and they can't because everything's hidden behind a mask. And so I do have concern for, you know, long-term development of children and also just the mental health of people because yeah. of all this of having to stay at home. Yeah. You know, I remember reading last year that suicide rates were really, really high and thinking to myself, I mean, I am not shocked at all by that. 100%. Yeah. yeah, it's fascinating. And I know there's a lot of ongoing research that in years to come, you know, we'll be able to read and I'm sure that, and there has been tons of publications already on that subject alone, just with regards to the mental health and sort of, you know, how we're reacting as humans to this whole thing. And you know, again, I'm super blessed to live in Texas where a lot of it was less strict. Mm-hmm. Again, my son's preschool was open the entire time. My daughter's elementary school is good. You know, I say fortunately for us, you know, there's a choice whether or not they want to wear a mask. But, you know, it's again, learning those facial cues. And I have an interesting story to sort of supplement what we're talking about. I have a good friend in Denver. I went and saw him for mm-hmm. lunch when I was there visiting customers a while back. And I noticed he had hearing aids in and he's my age, early 30s. I think he's a year younger than me. He's 34. I said, you know, I can't help but notice. I said, you know, what happened? Did something happen? You're wearing hearing aids. And he said, when COVID hit, when everyone started wearing masks, he realized he couldn't hear anybody. And so when people were talking to him, Mm. unless he was right up close with a certain, I think he said one of his ears. So he had to lean in and listen with one ear. And he said he didn't realize it and it concerned him. So he went to a doctor and apparently there's been something that's been happening within his ears that his hearing progressively has gotten worse and worse. But the doctor said his brain was trained to not necessarily hear what people were saying, but more so see it through, you know, the speaking, Mm -hmm. reading people's lips essentially. And so it was kind of interesting because I would imagine he's not the only person like that. Yeah. And it just goes to show that, you know, the way we communicate, it's not just hearing, but it's like you said, body language and and face. And I heard something and I don't remember the details, but there's a lot to be said for kids learning how to read facial expressions. And I think through that development stage, again, it's being impacted by perhaps being behind a mask. And and again, it is so complex. There's so many things to consider. I'm not a scientist, nor am I a doctor, but I think the topic of conversation needs to be had respectfully so that there can be some sort of constructive outcome or at least some like just ideas and things to be able to talk about. Because like you said, it's like, as soon as all this happened, it's been, you know, us versus them and everyone wants to be in a camp and then it's us against the world. And we're all, I mean, especially in the U S we're already divided enough. We don't need any more of it. So it's sad to see, but that's an interesting, again, I'm glad I asked that question because it, you know, we talked about an interesting topic, which I'm glad we could do it respectfully before we talk about business and oil and gas. Cause yes, this is an oil and gas podcast, but I tend to go down all sorts of rabbit holes. So this is good. If you had enough money in the world and whatever the case is, what would your ideal Friday night look like? Assuming you could go anywhere in the world with anybody, what would that look like? Man, I don't know if I've ever thought about that before. (laughs) And we can always come back to it if you need to think about it. But if not off the top, what would that look like? Well, I mean, as we talked about actually before the podcast, I'm really big into outdoors. I love being outside. 
as I said before, I live in Oklahoma City and I do love Oklahoma City. It's a great place. But the thing I find frustrating is that there's just no scenery. For me, I think a perfect Friday night would be being able to like go and get some dinner with my wife and have like a few drinks, yeah. but having an amazing view of something, some yeah. mountains, maybe taking a nice stroll afterwards or, you know, the ocean, something. Yeah. I like to think I'm pretty easy to please, but yeah. as long as I can kind of get out and walk around and look at stuff, I'm usually pretty easily stimulated. Nice. Hey, then that's a perfect answer. Whatever answer is a good answer. That's great. And I'm sure your wife would appreciate that. So a big shout out to your wife because yeah, your ideal Friday night involves her. So that's well, always a good thing. We actually, I mean, we've been, this year will be 13 years of marriage and we've been together for 15 years. Uh, uh, what's today? So he's the sixth. Six or yeah, seven. So tomorrow, tomorrow yeah, on the sixth. seventh will actually be 15 years to the day from when we went on our first date. No so way. yeah, so it'll be 15 years tomorrow that we've been together. Yeah. It'll we've been married for 12 years, you know, coming up on 13 this year. And honestly, for almost every Friday night during that time period, we've gone on a date. So that is amazing. It's kind of one thing we're somewhat passionate about is Friday night date night. Hey, and you know what that for the health of the relationship and the health of the home, everything, it's so important and your kids see that and they may not recognize it, but Seeing that sort of pattern and being able to do that, I think, is extremely important for our kids to see what that looks like. I mean, for us at home, we try and, yeah, we create a framework of a great home because it all starts at home. Yeah. And parenting, again, we could have a whole another topic, a conversation on parenting and everything else. But I think that's great. And so a big shout out to you and your wife. So let's chat about oil and gas. And I'm curious. So, again, looking at you know LinkedIn and you, know, you work at Novo, did a little research. I'm always curious about names of companies because over the last few years, you know, oil and gas, we've tried to rebrand ourselves to make us look a little more attractive to whether it's the public, the investors and whoever else is looking you know, down on us for the most part. But sure. yeah, so Novo is interesting and it's actually Latin for a new or a fresh, mm -hmm. according to the website. And I'll quote something from your guys' website. It says, we work hard to find practical new solutions to old problems and ideas. And so I'm curious is from your perspective, how would you describe this mission that you guys have basically applied? And I'm sure your culture is sort of formed around that. Yeah, it is. I mean, the one thing about Novo is the talent at Novo is really, it's intimidating. I always say this to people and it sounds like it's just sort of a mantra at this point, but you know, you've ever heard that phrase, if you're in a room and you can't tell who the idiot is, it's you, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, that's how I feel at Novo all the time. The wow. people that I'm surrounded with are just so bright and so brilliant that I'm constantly going like, I'm afraid to speak right now. I'm going to make a fool of myself. So I think the kind of idea was, you know, we only brought in people based off of recommendations from someone else or through personal experience. So, For sure. you know, kind of the idea was if you could get any one person for this job, who would you get? Right. And so then it became like, okay, we reach out and get that one person. Or if we couldn't get that one person, it became like, all right, who would you recommend if we did? So mm -hmm. not that Novo's done things, you know, entirely unique. I'm sure other companies have done this, but we did kind of have this idea that we only wanted to have, you know, superstars. Yeah, you if wanted we, an all-star yeah, team. If we absolutely could. Absolutely. And I think you do see that. I mean, as you mentioned, kind of new practical solutions to old problems. Some of the things that people at Novo come up with, I'm always like, how did they think of that? Wow. So. That's interesting. And so I want to kind of stick on that topic with talent, arguably. And again, from my experience and observations, the talent pool is slowly diminishing. A lot of people mm -hmm. are leaving the industry, You're just tired of the volatility, everything else. But have you guys found any challenges with acquiring talent? Because I'm not sure of your guys as growth, but I do know, again, just if my memory serves me correct, it's a lot of the folks came from, you know, Payrock, Devin Sandridge, yeah. you know, and for a long time, and I think it's very cyclical, just like everything in our industry is where you get an influx of petroleum engineers, young, eager folks, you know, want to make a difference and eager to please working hard. And then you get, it's like, you know, the engineering departments at the schools are scrambling, trying to find kids to come in and, you know, take it petroleum engineering. Have you found that's been a challenge for you guys at all? Or have you, no. you maintained a pretty solid core of talent? Yeah, I think we have a really great core of talent. We've actually got, I think this is probably what I should have mentioned. When we were talking about the new practical solutions to old problems thing. A lot of our guys are very data analytical type individuals. Ah, okay. So we kind of have this, you know, late twenties, early 30 somethings yeah, um, that I are all it. really, really great with computers, with Spotfire, Excel, you know, any type of analytical database or anything like that that you can give them or software, they will just, you know, they're whizzes. With, yeah. yeah. 
And I think that's been a huge help. So we've not really had trouble there because this new generation of individuals really just, they tend to be savvy in this stuff anyway. Yeah. You know, I'm 39 and I feel like I, it seemed like it happened right after I (laughs) I went to school that everyone started becoming really, really good with technology. So I'm still kind of in that sort of clumsy like group of individuals. Yeah. All that being said, I'm not an imbecile or anything like sure. that. I feel like I can learn it pretty quickly, but yeah. watching these other guys, it's just second nature to them. It is. It's fascinating. I, I love companies who embrace, you know, the younger generation who simply they learn different, they communicate different, they apply themselves different. And if we can embrace that and leverage it instead of try and form them to the way we, and I say we as in the sort of the older generation, again, I'm 35, so I'm kind of somewhere in the middle but I think it's imperative to have sort of the old school wisdom because that's extremely important to be able to make decisions in different ways than say, you know, a lot of the folks, the younger generation, but to come together, I think is where the magic happens. Yeah, and absolutely. not just having a group of the old regime, but then not just having a group of young folks who are running and gunning who really can't, don't have the foresight or experience to say, okay, if we do this now, how does that impact us yeah. on a macro scale? Which it sounds like, again, you guys kind of have the marriage of both, which is fascinating. So Novo, so you guys operate in the Utica, correct? No, we're in the northern Delaware. Yeah. Ah, yeah. okay. I worked the Utica for almost six years. So you probably, yeah, okay. you might have read that in my bio. and Perhaps, yeah. yeah. Okay, so can you give a general overview of where you guys are operating? Yeah. Like just on the basin itself, maybe a little bit of the geology and, and how that kind of plays into the bigger picture? Yeah, absolutely. So we're located in the northern, really northern and western Delaware. We kind of have two cored up acreage blocks. Our main area, which is like our Ronis Alata Claybor Buff asset, that's in Eddy County. Okay. And it is definitely a basinal deposit, but it's close enough to the northern shelf where you're getting that input of both sediment and kind of carbonate. And so one thing that we really love about that area, and it was one of the reasons that attracted us there was it's close enough to the shelf where you had significant carbonate growth out over that area when during high stands, which means like when the sea level was higher. Mm. And so we actually get these really, really nice carbonate frac barriers that separate our plastic packages. So like you're, you know, uh-huh. you've got really tight carbonate, several hundred feet of carbonate that separate the, you know, second bone spring from the third bone spring and the first bone spring from the second bone spring. If you go maybe 10 miles to the east or to the southeast or something like that, you start to see more porosity developing within those limestones and it becomes more like one gigantic flow unit. And Ah. we specifically didn't want that. We wanted to make sure that we would have as much inventory as possible without ever worrying about you know, contaminating or, you know, adversely affecting a reservoir when we would complete something below it. So yeah. If you can imagine, you know, trying to complete the Wolf Camp X, Y, or third bone spring, but then simultaneously, you know, harming your second bone spring above it. Yeah. We don't have to worry about that. Ah, So, yeah. There. Okay. Interesting. And so with that said, you know, like most in the Permian, you know, most folks are in development mode. There's not too much exploration happening, Mm -hmm. but with the way commodity prices, you know, gas prices are, you know, pretty juicy, oil prices, you know, now we're tickling 80 and hopefully for you know, at least an extended period of time, commodity prices are favorable to where folks can kind of get outside the box within the Permian or even the areas that surround you or that you guys are in. Do you think there's going to be much more exploration within the Permian or where do you see that from a geological perspective? Well, I mean, it's tough to say the great thing about the Permian is that no matter where you go, there's oil, Mm -hmm. you know, and the best place to look for oil is in an oil basin. Sure. There's tons of it. And there are tons of reservoirs that are not being you know, developed. I mean, I think at Novo, we have come up with three or four prospects that we think are really have a lot of potential. And to the best of our knowledge, no one or maybe one or two operators have even tested the concept. And so I still think there's a lot of stuff there that people haven't been doing. Okay. From a technology? Yeah. From from a technology? Okay. Interesting. So yeah, we're always interested in that. We're always kind of interested in looking at areas, looking at what's being developed, looking at what people consider to be like their main pay intervals, and then trying to immediately look at it and say, is there anything else in this area that someone, you know, maybe overlooking or maybe just assumes is not prospective? Let's hone in on that and try to map it up. Yeah. And if you focus on some of those intervals that you see other people bypassing, you can definitely see some really interesting trends pop out and I think, like I said, I think we've got some really good ideas. Wow. Interesting. So do you guys have a team of people that are, you know, aside from the day-to-day operations and looking at, you know, just current evaluations and stuff like that, do you dedicate time to sort of 
almost look at these technologies or do you have just a group of like within your network, you kind of know what's going on on the outside? I guess my question is, how do you keep up to date with it? And how do you explore these ideas just beyond what you're currently doing? And the reason I ask is because, you know, we've been beaten down so bad within, you know, I say we in general in oil and gas have been beat down. So a lot of times it's okay. Now we have to then return profits to shareholders. That's the big buzzword, yeah. you know, free cash flow, and let's not burn through our free cash flow and right. just grow production because that's what we feel like we need to do. And then we get put in this position that we've been in. So do you guys make a conservative efforts to try and sort of beat the status quo and go beyond what is just typically accepted as standard operating, you know, excellence? I don't know. I mean, I just think we just try to do everything the best we can. It's fair enough. I mean, I think everyone wants to say, oh, I'm the best at this, right? You know, oh, we've got this many rigs running. This is how much we're spending per lateral foot on, you know, DNC costs. Everyone wants to boast about those things. But the yeah. one thing that's really, really nice about smaller companies is that typically smaller companies can do things cheaper than the larger companies because the larger companies have higher overhead. They have to worry about, I mean, I say this like they have to worry about their public image, like it's, you know, like it's unnecessary to do that. I don't mean it that way, but sure. But they spend a lot of money yeah. and resources on PR stuff. Exactly. And they well, have to. Yeah. And like health and safety stuff. Yeah. Not that Novo doesn't. I mean, Novo, we are very diligent about our you know health and safety stuff. We care about it a lot. But we've kind of found that we can get things done much cheaper in those respects than a lot of the bigger companies. You know? sure. and, it's, and I think it's a function of headcount at the end yeah. of the day. So yeah, smaller company, yeah. less. I mean, you can be more efficient. You're a little more nimble. You can act quicker. There's not as much management or layers to have to go through that really just increase cycle times on decision making. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so. I think that is really the big thing is just being able to not have to go through these various layers of bureaucracy means that you can make better decisions in real time, yes. which also means you can take advantage of better prices in real time. Of course. So as things improve, you can always say, you know what, we're going to add another rig and we're going to do it right now and we're going to get this rate yeah. rather than being in a situation where it's like, I don't know, do we want to actually you know, do we want to add another rig? Like, do we want to have this rig for two years? Do we need to have this like a lengthy contract? We can just go like, no, we're going to add it for one well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No. And I love that about small companies. You know, we have, with the company that I work with, we have, you know, fortunately we've been in a position, we work for some majors, we work for some smalls, we work for everyone in between. Mm -hmm. And it's just neat to be able to see how different operators, you know, conduct business and there's benefits to both. Right. And, and so I think it's interesting you know, aside from commodity price volatility, because, you know, oil and gas companies, service companies, everyone in between lives and dies by commodity prices, unless you're hedged. And but, you know, again, generally speaking, mm -hmm. you know, that's a challenge. But what would you say the biggest challenge is currently in today's market, aside from commodity prices? Right now, I think the biggest challenge is dealing with rising steel prices. Mm -hmm. That for us is kind of one of the big things is just watching, you know, the price of casing and everything go up. It is making it difficult. I think we've been told in a few cases, like we've got so many companies all vying for this limited supply of steel. Yes. So it gets really competitive. I think that's something for us that's been kind of more of an issue. I got you. Not that it's stopping us from getting things done, but yeah. you know, the prices have gone way up. Are there, is there any sort of light at the end of the tunnel for when things might soften or i mean have you no heard from idea. yeah it's it's just kind of continuing yeah. to impact everybody supply chain globally has been a challenge it is for us it is for obviously you guys buying you know material from probably mm -hmm. everywhere yeah that seems to be tough and hopefully i've heard you know like q3 2022 a lot of the supply chain bottlenecks will hopefully start to reside which hopefully then helps our industry, because that's something that we've faced with as well, sourcing stuff from India, Morocco, everything mm -hmm. else. Yeah, it's. I think we've put a lot more emphasis. I know for a fact on the supply chain and purchasing side is really, you know, having to look down the road and give ourselves like a ton of runway to work yeah. with, because if not, you can be left in a pretty challenging position. There appears to be quite a bit of pressure from the investment community, policymakers, public, when it comes to ESG, sustainability, mm -hmm. Is that something that you guys are faced with as well? Or, I mean, you don't yeah, have to get into absolutely. detail, but I mean, because it seems like just you read headlines and every other headline is operators, you know, net zero this and sustainability yeah. that. I mean, right. can you talk a little bit about that? 
Sure. Well, I mean, Novo's concerned about it as well. But the good thing is that Novo actually was always concerned about this stuff. Like we try never to flare ever. Ah, okay. I mean, as a matter of fact, we even delay development until we know that our midstream takeaway is ready. Whereas we cool. know that some of our you know, neighbors don't do that. They'll just go ahead and turn things on. They're in a rush to get it out. And we don't do that. Yeah. I mean, we actually do care a lot about that. But I think there's nothing wrong with not wanting to burn money, right? And it's like sure. that's it. It's like you're flaring. This is every time you're doing that, you're just like lighting, you know, dollar bills on fire. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. So, yeah. I mean, it can actually be quite lucrative to actually be responsible, right? Yeah. So, exactly. we want to do that. But, you know, also I think we are really good about we want to give back to the communities in which we operate. Yes. You know, we we try really hard to do that. We've sponsored quite a few you know, things in New Mexico and in Oklahoma City. We try really hard to be a part of things. You know, I'm on the board of directors for the Oklahoma Geological Foundation. Ah, cool. And Tim, our CEO, is on the board for, I don't remember exactly what it is, but, you know, I think it's for like abused children. I mean, mm. there's a lot of things, a lot of social issues that we try really hard to be involved in. And yeah. we try to donate our own money. And I think Novo is actually really great about they'll pretty much match you on any dollar that you think is worth investing into. Uh, yeah. So. I've, I've heard of companies doing that. Yeah. Okay. That's super commendable. So if I want to put money into the OGF, which educates kids in STEM in the state of Oklahoma, yeah. you know, Nova will match me. If I uh, feel passionate enough about it, they will do the same thing. They'll come on yeah. board. And, and so, okay. So it sounds like, you know, the values within your guys' organizations really align well with the employees' values. Absolutely. And that, then yeah. that, sort of gets into, you know, organizational culture and stuff like that. How would you describe the culture within Nova? And, and you've kind of described it, but is there anything unique? I mean, you obviously have been in the industry for quite a while. Is there anything sort of unique or that sort of special on the culture side of things that you recognize? Nova was just, it's a fun place to be. Yeah. That's all I can say. It's cool. I've never worked with a group of people that work so hard and simultaneously play so hard in my life. Yeah. I mean, it's nonstop laughing, but it's never at the expense of your duties, right? Yeah. I mean, when you're in a small company, if work's not getting done, it's blatantly obvious. You know, everyone can tell, like, what's the holdup here? What's not getting done? Yeah. So we definitely prioritize making sure that our work is, is done on time, that no one's ever waiting on anything. But it's also, it's a lot of fun. We have, you know, like impromptu, we'll do like, somebody will bring in a bunch of cookies and it's like, all right, we're going to have a taste test and yeah. we're going to choose a winner right now. Like meet in the kitchen. This yeah. is what we're doing. Yeah. Everyone stop. Uh, we're doing yeah, this. Exactly. Yeah. Right. That, that's Stuff like great. that happens all the time. So that impromptu nature keeps it really fresh and yeah. makes it really interesting. So it's a lot of fun. And some of the people I work with are just the funniest people I've ever met. So <laughs> nice. it's a lot of really great jokes. Good. And I think if you have that sort of loose culture where it's not so strict, not so rigid, you know, you're allowing people to be themselves. It actually allows them to be more creative anyway. Yes. They don't feel like they need to like hide who they are, the way they think about things. Yeah. And so they take that same creativity and that same freedom back to their office and they put it into their work. And I think that's really important. It is. No, it really makes, it cultivates an environment for thriving instead of feeling like we have to survive. Absolutely. Because again, since I've been in the upstream oil and gas space since 2004, and I was always told on the rigs, I started off as a roughneck and, and it was like, you should be happy to have a job. You need us more than we need right. you. And it was always that mentality, like bow down, you know, you're here and you're privileged to be here. But I think a lot of times now the tables turned as employers and, and organizations or making an attempt to say, no, we value you. Your well-being is valued. We need you more than you need us mm -hmm. because now you can bounce around and go here and go there. And I think over time you've seen that people will stay at companies for, you know, a year, two years, bounce somewhere else. You either it's, you know, they have a better culture, they're you know, a little more pay, but arguably a lot of people within the network that I have, they would be much willing to give up a few thousand dollars a year or even a considerable amount to work with someone or an organization kind of like you're describing Versus, okay, I'm making good money, but they're going to beat me down. They're not going to value my home life. They're going to force me to be in the office from, you know, six to six. And so, again, I think that's really neat. And I think companies like Novo and others that are on board with what you're describing is going to be important for, you know, talent acquisition because there's probably not too many people, or at least through my observations, that are going to university say, I want to work in oil and gas. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, Facebook, it's Amazon, it's it's a lot of these sort of sexy, high growth, you know, tech companies, or at least companies that are embracing technology mm -hmm. and, and stuff like that. And so as an industry, if we want to continue to acquire talent, we need to, you know, 
build companies and frameworks to have people creative controls be embraced and add value where they see fit, not necessarily creating these boxes for people. Mm-hmm. And so with that, so I would imagine, so you guys are probably back in your office working or yep. touch on that. And you again, not into detail, but is it more of like, hey, you have the option or have you guys sort of created like a schedule? Like, hey, we want to make sure everyone's here these days, but for the rest of it, it's kind no, of I mean, will or how does that work for you guys? Well, I think it's actually, it's an easy question to answer because the truth is that everyone at Novo wants to be at work. And so that's how it should be. That's it. Everyone wants to be at work. Yeah. So, I mean, during 2020, when we just kind of didn't really know what was going on, you know, obviously we followed suit, we followed the CDC guidelines and we shut down our office. But I think I and maybe one or two other people still continue to go into the office only because, you know, it's an office that normally has 20 people in it. And all of a sudden now there was no one. So we didn't really feel like we were endangering anyone. I was in my office, maybe down at the other end of the building, someone was in their office and we never even really interacted. So we felt like we were being safe, even though, you know, we were still returning to the office. Once all that lifted and we kind of got back to the point where we could return to the office, everyone immediately came back and they wanted to be there. We did have a policy or not a policy, it was a goal. We had a goal for both 2020 and 2021 that no one would give anyone else in the office COVID. (laughs) You know, we would not have any outbreaks like person to person. outbreaks and we avoided it. So I think we're doing everything right. You know, everyone's vaccinated. So, I mean, the CDC has basically said, if you're vaccinated, you don't really have to worry that much. It's like, what was the point of getting the vaccinations (laughs) if then we have to still like isolate from everyone? So, you know, anytime somebody's gotten COVID or something like that, they go home and they quarantine and they come back. But the short and simple answer is everyone wants to be at work. That's It's a great place to be. You know, we missed out so much on that spontaneous collaboration when we were not allowed to work in the office. Right. And that does a number on your mental health and (laughs) on the quality of your work. It really does. And I think me specifically as a geologist, we were talking about this before and I was thinking about it, you know, engineering may be a bit more binary, right? It's like, there is an answer. There is one answer. That's it. Based on the numbers that you gave me, this is the answer. That's it. Yeah. And this is not the answer. <laughs> yeah. But in, in geology, it is very much an abstraction. Oh, and we think that. in abstractions. That's the way we think. It's all, everything is a big abstraction and you have to think in three dimensions. Yeah. And in order to be able to sell your story, you really have to create a lot of visuals, right? Yes. You have to use this artistic part of your brain to put together maps, to put together, we use a lot of animations at work. You know, once again, I talked about how everyone's pretty tech savvy. We think animations are really important in being able to illustrate like, you know, sediments coming from here, you know, deposition is occurring here. This is what's happening. So we, we do a lot of that stuff. Cool. And when you're doing it over the computer, it's just really strange when you're trying to present this stuff through MS Teams or Zoom yeah, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you can't gauge anyone's reaction. You can't tell whether or not they get the story that you're selling them. Right. And so I think just having everyone back and getting that spontaneous collaboration, looking at people's faces and making sure that you know that they understand it, you don't need to spend more time on it, yes. was really, really key. Yeah. And so I think, yeah. So it's interesting because... You know, if you've been around long enough or have been in meetings or presentations, there's something to be said about the energy in the room. When the energy in the room is high and people are, you know, firing off ideas and collaborating. I've been in a thousand Zoom MS Teams meetings, whether it was work, school, just, you know, one-on-one meetings instead of going for coffee. There's no energy. It's very much, I can't even really describe it, but yes, having sort of the people in the room and feeding off of each other's body language and the other we've talked about. Yeah, you can't replace that. You can't build that over Zoom. And again, the intent is good. Let's make sure we're physically distanced and protecting each other. Mm-hmm. But the fact that, you know, because I've talked to a lot of people that, oh I, oh, I have to go back to the office. I'd rather just work from home. And granted, there's nice things about it. You, well, you drop your kids off at school and spend a little more time with the family and, and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, if you're really trying to perform at a high level and provide as much value for your stakeholders, you need to be all in and do everything you can to be successful. And with that comes being together and and doing the things you're talking about right now, which is really interesting. From a broader scale, what would you say sort of the future vision is for Novo kind of going down as we're moving into whether it's energy transition and just the future of oil and gas? Sure. Well, I mean, Novo is unique in that Not only do we have really what we think are absolutely top tier assets, but one thing that makes us really unique is we have really high nets, you know, so that's our NRI, our net revenue interest. And it basically means that 
you could think about it this way. If you have, you know, a 75% NRI for every dollar that you pull out of the ground, you have to pay 25 cents to someone else, right? Yeah. In some instances, we actually have a hundred percent NRI. It means that we do not pay a dollar outside of taxes. We don't pay even a penny to anyone else, right? So what that means is that our acreage is really safeguarded very much by any volatility in the market. Like, you know, so we feel really confident that we can just keep drilling for the foreseeable future and keep doing what we're doing. All that being said, we definitely have one eye on the future and on what is what comes next. We know that, you know, inventory is going to run out eventually. So we need to constantly keep our eyes on that. So we are always looking at things. We want to develop really meaningful relationships with our neighbors. And, you know, a lot of times those meaningful relationships lead to potential deals. So, you know, we want to keep doing that with regards to maybe new technologies and things like that. I'm not going to say that Novo isn't 100% committed to being an oil and gas long-term, but if somebody came up with an idea that was not oil and gas, like that was, you know, mining or lithium or helium or something like that. And it was a really sound thing. I'm sure somebody would pursue it. Yeah. So I like to think that we don't ever kind of, you know, pigeonhole ourselves and keep us in this one box. All that being said, I find it unlikely that we'll get out of oil and gas, but we're happy to continue doing what we're doing and turn in line, just amazing wells. And, you know, that's awesome. Yeah. Keep making money. Sticking to your core business, but having an open mind to consider possible, you know, other ventures and you never know, right. Which again is cool. And if you're good at what you're doing and you're providing value and you're making money, there's no sense to inhibit that by, you know, doing anything else at this point. And so, and again, it's, but what it sounds like is again, open to opportunities, but let's, you know, do what we're good at and we'll keep doing that, which is great. What do you like specifically most about your job? When you get up in the morning, what is the one thing that you really look forward to? And and when you get to work that you're thriving and saying, this is what I love about what I do. What I would say is this. When I was in grad school, I had a teacher, his name was David Lawrence, and he was our structural geology professor. And he used to work for, I think it was Gulf Oil. And I remember him saying that there's no feeling in the world like you know, coming up with an idea and testing it and turning it on and just seeing like the oil start to flow, like being like, oh my goodness, like I did it. Yeah. I love that feeling. I love that about my job. You know, I love checking the morning reports and looking at the production and just being oh, like, yeah. yes, yeah. we're producing, <laughs> you know, we're producing a lot of oil today. <laughs> yeah, that's that, great. I, that's actually the favorite thing uh, okay. that I do. But, you know, Part of that, of course, is obviously just looking at the ideas. And then, you know, if you know that you're successful now, then you start to trust yourself and you're going, all right, we're doing things right. We know what we're doing. So then you start looking at new ideas and you start getting really, really excited about them too. So I also love that. I love thinking about, oh man, you know, I saw some interesting trend over here. I really need to explore that. And for a long time, I used to keep a little kind of notepad near my bed and I'd wind up waking up in the middle of the night and then just like jotting something down. I haven't really done that in a while. I think I just kind of got out of the habit, but I like that, you know, thinking, oh man, I got something to look forward to tomorrow. Yes. No, that's one thing it's, and again, being in the upstream space and being on the drilling side, it's there's that, I wouldn't say instant gratification, but if you're drilling away and you make a tweak it's not like you have to wait three months to realize it's, or see what the outcome is. You can literally make it, you know, push a button, turn a knob, you know, and see what the outcome is. And you can quantify it real time, yeah. which is really cool. And it sounds like the passion you have for doing things like that is amazing, which again, that's, you know, I'm sure part of the reason why you guys are successful, because if yourself and probably everyone else that's passionate about their jobs as well, a couple of personal questions before we close out here. Do you have any daily habits or routines that contribute to your success to kind of keep you dialed in, focused, and recharged, if you will? Sure. Yeah. So as we mentioned before, I try really hard to budget in X number of pages a day or X number of minutes, like listening on my, you know, Bluetooth headphones, like for a book. Yeah. I definitely want to say that I consumed at least X amount of information a day. So that's one of them. Two is I work out almost every day, you know, usually about an hour a day six days a week. And I play soccer on Sundays, which I really, really love. Awesome. So, and for me, it's really just, that's the recharge moment Mm. is you just, you put yourself through the ringer for like an hour. And then all you can think about is like, I am beat. I want to get back to doing something else. I need to put my mind onto something now. Yeah. So that's kind of my big recharge moment. Very cool. But I do like, I remember reading an article, it was a Dave Ramsey article and it was talking about the 10 habits of successful people. Yeah. And some of the things that show up in there is like successful people read 
every day. They spend a little time reading every day. They spend a little time exercising every day. Mm -hmm. And I remember looking at this list and realizing that I ticked the box on quite a few of them. And really what it came down to is just that I live a regimented lifestyle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think in a lot of ways, that's the key to success. I think is that you live a regimented lifestyle, you know what to expect. And when you do that, I think it actually becomes really easy to recharge because you know what you do now, right? Yeah. Oh, I just finished my workout. What do I do? I go back to work. Mm-hmm. You know what to expect because you did it yesterday. Yeah. And so I think having kind of habits yeah. is a really good thing. Yes. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I can identify with you with, you know, I try to work out, you know, at least over the last couple of years was tough just with kids and, and school and stuff. Cause I typically work out before work in the mornings. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm up till one o'clock in the morning doing schoolwork, it's hard for me to get up at five, yeah. but now that that's done, I'm back to, you know, again, five days a week for me, which is good. And it's the type of training that I do. It's very, you know, it's high intense. It's a lot of working out, but, and I think I know the answer to this, but what would you say you do for working in? And is that reading for you? Reading. On, okay. Sort of like the mental wind down, yeah the decompression because ultimately working out depending on what kind of working out you know if it's yoga or something really low impact but that's still a stressor to the body it's yeah. still exerting energy it's you're recharging you know endorphins and chemical and everything else getting into the sort of the weeds of that but you know it's always good to work in and then for me that's you know i have an infrared sauna at home again i have a lot of random things my wife <laughs> makes fun of me all the time but again it's just part of who i am but is there anything else that you do to work in instead of work out other than reading? I have a really bizarre habit of waking up at 4.30 every morning and playing video games with a guy who lives in Australia. What? That's so yeah. cool, man. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, Tell me more. Well, it's just I have a family. I have two kids. Love them to death. But at the same time, like sometimes you just need a little bit of silence. Yeah. You know, that's what you need. You need time to kind of recharge. So. I get usually about an hour and a half every morning just of me time. I love that. And I think it is really, really important to get that. And so I wake up before everyone else. I have my coffee pre-programmed to go off at 4.23 exactly so that it's done brewing exactly yes. at 4.30. That's so, so awesome, So I get man. up, I grab my cup of coffee, I go upstairs, and I play video games. Okay. So. And as someone who grew up playing video games, I love that, that you've set aside time away from work, kids, everything else that I'm sure you have going on to dedicate to some gaming. What is it? Like, what kind of gaming is it? I played Destiny 2. Okay. You ever ever heard of Destiny? It's made by Bungie, which are the guys that originally made Halo. So the original Halo series. So it it has a very Halo feel to it, but it is a first person shooter. It's nice. It's really fun. It's kind of like if you could take Call of Duty, but put it in space. That's sort of what it's like. And it is a really fun game to play with other people. I think that's where the real grandeur of that game lies is in this big, like communal sort of taking down of really difficult bosses and things. I yeah, love so, that. So yeah. are you PC, Xbox or PlayStation? Xbox. Yeah. Xbox. Okay. Yeah. I'm an Xbox guy too. Nice. My, my brother-in-law is a PlayStation guy and we always battle <laughs> back and forth. For me, honestly, I know it sounds weird, but it's about the ergonomics of the controller. Oh, the Xbox controller yeah. for me has always been good. And because yeah. to me, the PlayStation one, it was just too boxy. Whereas yeah. like the Xbox one I felt was just more, yeah, it just formed to again, yeah. it's just funny talking about it, but yeah. I totally know what you mean. And this is funny because my daughter, you know, so we have the Xbox that I had, you know, years ago when I was, you know, single and, you know, played it, which is, they've evolved. And now I'm so eager to get a new Xbox and it totally spurred my, you know, sort of interest even more this Christmas because my daughter, she has a camera that she uses and plays games. And it's like, it's one of those VTech cameras and there's like the most basic game on her camera yeah. that she can, you know, play with. And she came to me and said, daddy, I, like I want a video game box thing. And I was yeah. like, yes, <laughs> you don't know what kind of, you know, time we're going to spend doing this, but I would, daddy would love to get you an Xbox, sweetie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this is a rabbit hole. You might regret going. Down yeah, I know. Right. It's going to be me and her playing till, you know, all hours of the night and my wife like get to bed. But no, I think that that is so cool, man. And cause it's funny. Cause one of the questions I have normally is, What's something interesting about yourself that not many people know about? And so I'm going to just stick with that and say that was your answer. But that's great. Gaming. Oh, that's funny. Well, again, this has been great. I want to respect your time. And like I was saying, I got to get my mom to the airport in time traveling back to Canada. There's a lot of interesting things happening right now. So got to get her off. But this has been awesome. Is there anything else you'd like to relay or any message or just anything that I mean, you've got a, a wide audience here. So any last words before we close out? 
No, it, if I gave last words, it sounds like something I could say would actually be interesting. So yeah. I think I'll just leave it. At that. <laughs> sounds good. Well, thanks again for joining me today. Everyone connect with Michael over LinkedIn. You know, he's a busy gentleman, but again, you know, if you have any thoughts or you just want to commend him on a great conversation today, I encourage you to do so. And with that said, thanks for, again for joining me today. And always remember when the density is up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.